morning, everybody. This is uh, AD, Andrew Deering. Lovely to have you listening in. I always seek to get the most amazing people to come and have a chat with, have a bit of a yarn. And this morning, uh, you won't be disappointed because I have the uh, wonderful Shane Hatton, who is an amazing character. G'day, Shane. Oh, talk about setting expectations, AD. You won't be disappointed. That is a, a huge guarantee at the start. Oh, I am very comfortable having known you for quite a few years, Shane, that that will be something that many will agree with. All will agree with. I'm going to go even further. Um, just a bit of info about Shane. Shane's a Queenslander by birth. So you do some date of origin. You still go there. Okay, you cool. better believe Good. it. Well done. Um, but a Melbourneian by choice. So he uh, found the coffee desire when he was younger, although I have to say, mate, I reckon we rival you nowadays. Um, Shane's curious by nature, creative at heart. Uh, he's spent the last decade developing remarkable leaders, teams and cultures. He's an expert in leader communication, lending his experience in business and psychology to help leaders communicate, connect and collaborate more effectively in order to bring out the best in those they lead. Shane is passionate about helping leaders with conversations they need to create the teams they want, and I Got to jump in there and say, I absolutely have seen that and believe that to be very true and lived. As a speaker, coach, and trainer, Shane has partnered with some of Australia's most well known and loved businesses across the public, private, and not for profit sectors. His, his coaching helps individuals and teams better understand what makes them exceptional and how they can leverage that to achieve individual and collective outcomes. Shane is also, I mean, apart from all of that, as if that's not enough. He's a Gallup certified strength coach and author of two books, including Let's Talk Culture, The Conversations You Need to Create the Teams You Want, and Lead the Room, Communicate a Message that Counts in Moments that Matter. Um, and the new book is somewhere that we will go. It's the Let's Talk Culture, something that's very topical. Um, and it's all about, uh, you know, I think anyone who hasn't got it, get it. Um, the culture is an organization's unseen advantage. It's the intangible quality that sets winning teams apart. And what role do your people leaders on the front line playing building it and shaping it? Yeah, like you know, love your questions and your framing, Shane. Um, <clears throat> it's backed by a bunch of research with over a thousand Australian managers, which is really unusual because a lot of books that a lot of people prattle on, they actually don't have an evidence-based approach. So Shane has done a bunch of work in that book to understand what is really happening in people's lives and inside their spaces and the thousand focus a pretty crazy good data set um, and explores around how they build and shape the culture and the lens of communication um, and Shane explores that in that book. So there's a quick intro for you all to the man that's, uh, what's the old saying, the man, the myth, the legend. Here he is, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hatton. It's an absolute delight to have you on, Shane. And, um, <clears throat> Thank you for blushing at all the appropriate times. Uh, for those people who are only listening to this, grab the video. It's always nice to see someone who actually is humble in his face and is, is uh, you know, yes, it's all true, but gosh, I really don't like hearing it out loud. Um, <laughs> is that a fair, fair challenge? That's a fair assessment, yes. There's nothing, you can't see the bottom half of me, but my I'm squirming below the screen right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an all, it's an all, it's, and the, like I said to everybody at the start, it's a very true statement, so. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, Thank you. Shane, we talk to people, and, and you and I have known you from each other for quite a while, um, and the, the really pleased you came on the podcast, and the, the frame of the podcast is better people, better business. Um, and the place we always start when we begin this journey is the simple question. Um, you know, for you, with all that framing that we've got around the stuff you've seen, the people you've worked with, where you've been, 
when I say better people, better business, what does that mean to you? How do you see that playing out in the world that you get to work in? Mm. I, I think it's a, a beautiful frame for um, it's both um, relevant and aspirational. What I love is that is better, better people, better business means it's something that I can do now. And it's also something that's never done because there's always an opportunity for growth in that. But the immediate thought that came to my mind was um, no people, no business. <laughs> and so my, my mind went to immediately to the contrast of that and no people, no business. Look, my, my work, I spend most of my days developing what I would describe as remarkable leaders and cultures, uh, really leaders, because I think leaders help shape remarkable cultures. Um, when I say the word remarkable, people always get a little bit intimidated by that. And the, the frame that I use for remarkable is remarkable is that thing that stands out in your mind. And so mm. when I ask people the question, you know, if you reflect back over your career, who was a leader that made the biggest impact on your life? There's always like one or two people that stand out in your mind. And I think of those people and I call them the remarkable leaders. And so what mm. I found is as you develop more of those kinds of leaders, the people around them get better. And so when a leader gets better, the people around them gets better, which means the business gets better, which means it's multiplied impact. So when I come back to that core of better people, uh, better people, better business, I always think multiplied impact is the outcome of that. Yeah, I like that. And it's um, I, I think that word remarkable, as you imagine, would cause people some anxiety and nervousness. How could I be a remarkable leader? Me, yes. really, of all the people? I'm like, yes, you yeah. absolutely can be. And when you think about the term remarkable, it's all that, it's that piece around, uh, you know, worthy of attention, you know, something that stands yep. out, something that's just that, like you said, in your history, there are people that we go, he or she just made a difference. Sometimes for better, sometimes not. Yeah. But the, because remarkable covers both extremes, I assume as well, yep. both yep. wonderful and um, people you that I am never doing that. Um, and yep. it's also a positive choice with a slightly less useful frame behind it, but a very positive decision. <laughs> That's really cool. And I, and I go back to one of the comments you made there, that <laughs> no people, N-O, people, uh, no business. And it's a conversation I often have with clients, and I'm sure you have a lot too, where people love to talk about the business, the organisation as a thing, uh, as if it's alive, as if it's, uh, it, so I can blame the business for its decisions. Um, you know, the, you know, we talk about better people, build a better business. Uh, if we, like you said, if we take the people out, there is nothing. It's nothing but a piece of paper sitting in some sort of filing cabinet that says there's this structure created to serve some sort of purpose commercially. <coughs> Beyond that, though, there's nothing there. Um, is that yeah. is that the thing that you're seeing a lot of? Yeah, look, I, I was having a conversation, I reckon maybe 18 months <laughs> ago with a good friend of mine who was actually my very, well, not my very first, but like my first kind of grown up job. <laughs> he was mm. my first boss, but we became such great friends. He ended up becoming one of my groomsmen at my wedding and we've we've stayed in touch ever since. And he was looking at doing some um, some work within an organization that he was a part of. And we were kind of riffing on these this idea of advocacy and employee advocacy um, and the importance of having your employees as you know, advocates of your business. And we kind of riffed on this statement. Um, his name's Dan Baldry. And he said, um, there was this phrase that it's not personal, it's business. And it was that kind of thing that was really popular for a while. And he said, I think it's, it's reverted. And he said, it's not business, it's personal. 
and this idea of getting really personal with people because when it gets personal um and you get to know people that's why when you said no business no i immediately thought and k-n-o-w like no people no mm. business um yeah. again the same thing there's that that Gosh. sense of like really being personal with people getting to know them and leveraging the best of each individual is just so so crucial yeah, thank you and i wasn't sure which no it was and they both work yeah they all work which is yeah, and knowing people allows you to do business you're right and then some of those wonderful old idioms things like that which aren't terribly useful the one you just talked about there where yeah. you know it's only it's nothing personal it's only business which allowed a bunch of really bad behavior yeah um and, and i'm assuming uh, with the work you're doing and inside organizations and talking to that place of remarkable um and culture uh, how how were you I'm curious, like how in the thousand people you talk to, in the frame of knowing business and knowing people, <clears throat> what what did you find? What did you learn? What's something that if I'm sitting here listening at the end of this and I kind of go, thousand people you had data from, what were the big chunky things that you found out that you and I'm probably really keen on what surprised you? Oh my gosh, so many things surprised me. Um, look, there was. The intention of the study was that I wanted to understand the role of people leaders in building and shaping organizational culture and team culture. So the, the book was focused on culture. And so one of the first things that I wanted to understand was, well, let's not just go straight to the executive team. Let's not go straight to the board and ask them what they think about culture <laughs> because they're talking about it all the time. And there's so much out there written for them. I wanted to go a layer down in the organization and go, why does it, why does it stop there? Why doesn't culture translate from the top to the bottom? And it feels like there's this middle ground, this middle layer of leaders where it kind of falls over a little bit. And so my, I guess my hypotheses going into the study was, do they even care about culture as much as, you know, the leadership team care about culture? Do they know what culture is? Do they understand their role in it? And mm. so we went out to a thousand managers to understand that. And I was actually pleasantly surprised at how wrong I was in that first statement. I thought managers just didn't care about culture, but 99% mm. of the managers in our study said that culture was crucial to organizational success. Like there was overwhelming response. They said, this thing matters. Mm. The thing that surprised me was in two areas. Number one, they said it's really important, but they didn't know what it was. <laughs> And number mm. two, they didn't think that they could influence it. 50%, actually, one in two managers said culture can't be influenced. It just happens. Yeah, wow. So, so there was this kind of two big areas that I, that I found so fascinating. One was um, we asked them, can you define organizational and team culture? 97% said yes. I think it was 0.1% said no, they can't. The other said no, not really. Um, and then we asked them the question, well, tell us what your definition of culture is. And so the responses that we got were so varied, but about one in 10 people could give us an answer to that question. That was in some way consistent. And mm. as I was working with McCrindle, the research <clears throat> agency I worked with, we walked through the raw data and we were filtering through and I saw this definition, this one in 10 definition keep showing up. And I was like, it's so it's so well polished. It's so well refined. It slightly varies between answers, but it's very consistent. And I thought to myself, what would I do if I didn't know the answer to the question that I just said that I did know the answer to? And so I opened up a new tab on Google and I wrote, define organizational and team culture. And our one in 10 answer was the first definition that shows up when you Google organizational and team culture. <laughs> Which uh, 
Yeah, which is that piece. So the data probably goes a little further from that evidence to say there is a reasonable lack of understanding, true understanding yeah. of what is culture. And yeah. if I was if I was to throw you on the spot, sorry, and you're welcome. When I you talk it. about that culture, how do you define it? What is your definition yeah. that you talk to people about? It's huge. That is such a huge question. And when you said like, do, do middle managers not really understand what culture is? No, not really. And I would take that in a whole lot further and ask, does anyone really understand what culture is? And the answer is no, not really. And yes, at the same time, because whenever I ask somebody to define culture for me, they always give me an answer that is in some way accurate. So when mm. someone says it's how we do things around here, it's not wrong. It's right. It's, culture is absolutely the way we do things around here. When someone says culture is our values and our beliefs and our norms, Yes, it is. It is our values, beliefs, and norms. If someone says it's the vibe of the place, of course it's the vibe of the place. So all of the definitions are accurate. And our challenge at the moment around culture is that there's no universal definition of what culture is. Um, academically, up until kind of Google hit the market, everyone had an opinion on everything. Academically, there were 54 different academic de definitions of culture. And so it's no wonder people are so confused about it. Um, but what I do know about culture, here's the, the four things that I do know about culture. I, I'm not going to give you a definition, but I'll tell you the four things that mm -hmm. every culture has. Number one, it has a collective element, meaning that culture always refers to a group, not an individual. So mm -hmm. I don't have a culture and you don't have a culture. We have a culture. It means that culture exists, whether you've done something about it or not. So if you're sitting there going like, oh, we need to build a culture, you're not building a culture. It already exists. You're probably yeah. changing a culture or amplifying a culture. The second thing is that culture always has an invisible or an unseen element to it, meaning that it talks about beliefs, it talks about understandings, it talks about meanings, things that you could never observe or see. I always love when I'm in a workshop with people, always go, I'm going to count to three and I want you to point to something, all right? I'm going to count three, one, two, three, point to your values. And everyone just kind of just like awkwardly points at their head <laughs> or their heart or their gut. And I go, on the count of three, point to your beliefs, one, two, three. And everyone's like, uh, they just point to their head or they point to the sky or all kinds of things. So... I say to people, just because, you know, you can't touch beliefs or you can't see values, do you think they influence culture? I mean, yes, of course they do. They absolutely influence culture. So it has an unseen element. Mm. The third thing is it has a seen element, meaning that there's an observable nature. And I reckon this is probably most often what people refer to as culture. So when I said, you know, tell me about the culture of your organization, what you'll give me is behaviors. So you'll say, oh, we're really inclusive. Why? Well, because when I joined the organization, they invited me into these meetings and they did this and they did that. So you're looking at culture as observable behaviors. Um, and then the final thing is that culture has a shared learning element, which means that we learn culture from one another. Um, so when we come into a group, we either adapt our norms <clears throat> or we adjust our norms in order to be able to, to learn what the culture is of that organization. So I can't define culture for you, but I reckon good. if you looked at those four key elements of it, I reckon you'd have a really good shot at, at changing it or, or, or shaping it. Yeah, that's cool. And I think it's... Um... I think it's wise advice to to think about what is it not let's not give it a word or let's not put it in a box yeah uh, let's talk about the things that it is and does and how it works yeah. um, and yeah. i love those pieces i just scribbled them down um particularly the first one around the collective the we uh yeah. you know it's um terrible metaphor but i'm going to go there you know the bucket of yogurt which you're the awesome joke was you know you got, you got a bucket of yogurt's more got more culture than you that sort of throwaway line you sometimes <laughs> people might have used on me um but inside the yogurt culture is through the entire thing it's not sitting in a little it's not like there's a little maltese or a jaffa or something sitting in the middle that's the culture it's through the whole thing yeah um, in organizations 
it's a tubby yogurt culture through the whole thing. It's already there, right? Like, and this is this is one of the big challenges I have with people is they say, well, I've never done anything to build our culture, but we've got a really good culture. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Like, great for you. I'm so actually so happy for you because the reason you've got a great culture is because you've got great people who feel aligned around a particular way of doing things. Now, you can have a really great culture and have done absolutely nothing to invest in it other than just to rely on shared learning, which is, I like to do it this way and I find other people who like to do it the same way as me. And now we have a great culture. Unfortunately, Mm. you can also have someone who has a really unhelpful culture um, and they've done absolutely nothing about it because they feel like it's they're powerless to be able to change it or shape it. And one of the reasons they feel powerless to change it or shape is because they don't fully understand exactly what it is. And so my thing is rather than getting hung up on a definition, work Mm. out how to change it, apply it, practice it. What does it look like practically? So if someone's sitting out there at the moment, they're going, cool, I, I think I get this. There's some understanding here. And yes, the second big piece, which I agree with you on 2000%, I'm sure everybody, when they think about it, does. Culture is always present. Whether yeah. you choose to acknowledge it, work with it, make it better, that's the work or not. Um, there's always a culture going on and it's up to the leader whether or not they decide to help lead it or it just forms by itself. Um, and it will, as you might know. With that, when you when we start talking though about if I'm sitting here as a leader or even a person, a team, whichever, and my experience of the culture where I am is problematic. Like I don't, mm. I don't like it. Something ain't quite right. Whatever that might be. What do I do about that? Like, do I hire? Do I bring someone in to fix our culture? Um, you know, it, and I say it a little bit jokingly because they're not saying that's also not a valid pathway, but you know, what, where does someone begin? Um, yeah. You know, even if it's a small business, two or three people, maybe even like, you know, how do they how do they work with that? How do they deliberately build it? What do they do? Yeah, which is the right right question, rather than what is culture? How do I define it? How do we get you know clear on exactly what the academic definition of it is? I think the most important thing is okay. Well, what do I do with it? Like now, mm. I kind of understand what it is or what I'm referring to. What do I do with that? And Look, there are there are the two ways is do I facilitate something myself or do I bring somebody in? And I want to I'll touch briefly on the do I bring someone in because that's obviously what I what I do. Um, but there's there's real the reason why people bring someone like me or even yourself into an organization, and this is what I'm learning a lot of late, is that sometimes when you're immersed in something, it's really hard to disconnect from the thing that you're in. And yep. so when you're having conversations and these, this, what I would suggest is the key to shifting and changing culture is really good conversations. It's hard to have a conversation that doesn't feel like it's at somebody else on your team or that's at somebody, you know, that's a, you know, a peer or a leader. <clears throat> Whereas when I go into an organization, one of the values that I bring is that I come in as someone who two people can be talking at me, but it's about each other. And I can hold the space for them so it doesn't feel like they're attacking one another. And so I facilitate that space for people. But of course, any leader can facilitate that space, but you've got to just be aware of where your own bias kicks in or where the power dynamics sit within the team, what kind of psychological safety you have in order for people to be able to share openly and honestly. Um, it's a really <clears throat> important part. Yeah, look, and I, and I agree and um, certainly don't diminish the value of anybody getting somebody to help. Um, and I think particularly, so two parts there, particularly when, again, I agree with what you're saying, it's quite wise for people listening 
people who think they can fix it themselves and while you are fixing it, and again, this is the mentality so many people bring that fixes. Mm. I'm not using the word deliberately, Shane, which is probably making you squirm under the table again. <laughs> um, well, they're trying to fix it. They're not participating in it, and yet they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really difficult to be a contributor and potentially the leader of the culture and then be working on it at the same time. It's a whole work on, work in piece, isn't it? <clears throat> which is really difficult to do um, versus yeah. getting somebody to come and give you a hand in a process where you get to sit at the table and contribute just as much as anybody else um, yeah. and and may uncover, discover a little bit about how you show up in that conversation as well, which is often uncomfortable but really useful. Yeah. Um, that's really that's good words. Yeah, so I, so I say that because not to say you can't do it yourself. I wrote Let's Talk Culture to help people facilitate mm. it themselves. And so we can talk through what they, what any leader in an organization can do as a starting point to shift culture. Um, and, and if at some point you start to realize, actually, this is getting really tough, that's where you can start to reach out for help and support through, you know, external people like yourself and, and myself and a mm. whole bunch of other really great people. Mm. Um, so culture, I think the first thing is, is understanding you can change culture if it doesn't suit you. I think that's one of the first starting points is when someone says, I don't like our culture, their options are I stay or I go. Yeah. Um, if you're a leader of a team and you go, our, our team culture is just not that great. Um, well, I need to let some people go and I need to hire some new people. Now, sometimes that might be the case. Sometimes you actually just do need to let good people go in order to be able to get the culture that you want. Um, but what I would suggest is that culture is something that can be shifted and something that can be changed. And a lot of managers had the belief that you can't be. And so mm -hmm. if you if you hold that belief, you'll feel powerless to do anything about your culture. So that would be the very first starting point is yeah, make nice. an intentional effort. I can do something about this. Yeah, and it is, it is um, really wise and powerful words there because people do seem to take extreme actions at times. Mm -hmm. uh, he or she isn't working. The team culture sucks. Sack them. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, it's, and it's this whole piece of weighing on a minute. Um, have you even defined or seek, sought to understand what is going on in the culture of the space and yeah. why they might be feeling a certain way or not, how you're contributing, how they're contributing. And I suspect part of the, the book, and I definitely want to, you know, that's a big thing. If you haven't got it, it's a cracking book to have a read of. And it's about how do you begin? Because if you don't understand culture mm. in the sense of it, it's going to be a really tricky time to manage that and to lead through yeah. that. Um, and, and I think the other piece I'm curious about inside the research, I don't know if you went there, but um, so while people couldn't necessarily define culture, uh, did they understand how to seek to understand culture? Did they, did they have that framing around how do I even learn more? Like if I don't get this thing, how do I understand what it is? Yeah. Did that, did that come through? Look, I think people understood culture from the perspective of we were kind of looking at the same thing, but we were all looking at little facets of it. It's like we were looking at a set of dice, but we were looking at one side of the dice. And so everyone had a perspective and we bring all the perspectives together. We get more holistic pictures, but they were all looking at little parts of it. When we asked people, just 3% of people said they felt fully confident to shift or build culture, which was really little um, in terms of like the, the population of people who said, yeah, I can feel like I can do something about this. Um, but when we, when we looked at the picture, people went, yeah, look, I, I want to learn more about, and I, I recognize. So one of the things that we said was, can you influence culture? And 50% said, no, it just happens. 
Um, other people said it's the little decisions over time. But when we went into the qualitative study where we did interviews with people, almost everybody said to us, when you influence culture, like you can't influence culture, whether or not culture happens, mm. but great culture needs a leader. That was the overwhelming response. So even though 50% said, no, you can't influence culture. I think what they really meant was you can't do anything about the culture that you have. Like it's just going to be there. But if you want to build a really great culture, that takes leadership and intention and effort and investment. And I, that's, I think, what people know. The challenge is they just don't know where to apply that energy or that effort or that intention because it feels so ambiguous and intangible when we talk about culture. It's an interesting because often um, we have a, I guess it's a light way to talk about middle management in, in any organisation. We often talk about the permafrost of middle management. Nothing goes up, nothing goes down, and it's mm. it's it's set, it's set hard. Um, and I think some people, and I don't, I'd, I'd still say there's a there's a little bit of amount of truth in that. The thing that's always curious though is why, you yeah. know, it's easy to go ah middle management ah. Why? And even in the data that you're talking to there, there's this piece where they there's that significant proportion who says, I can't fix this. Um, but I sometimes wonder as well, is it is it the and we need a great leader to help us go through it? Um, but is that partly because they don't necessarily feel empowered in their roles to take action, to do things and to make choices, small or large? And help that like do they realize that they can actually lead through this space themselves? Is it or is it that have we created this storm around this frame culture that we need these superstar rock stars to come and rescue us? Um, is that is that well, I'm just thinking out loud, it just kind of feels just yeah. sort of triggered when you were talking about that. Is anything around that? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things <clears throat> that came through, we asked people who is responsible for culture. And that was an, an interesting conversation. And if you imagine the responsibility across, let's say, kind of five key areas from setting the culture to leading the culture to communicating the culture to living it out every day and then addressing all the inconsistencies in culture of the, across those five areas, imagine that the responsibility cascades down from top to bottom. So when it came to setting the culture, 75% of the managers said that's the CEO or founder or head of business's responsibility. 75% said they're responsible for setting it. Next layer down, 65% said um, the C-suite or our executive team are responsible for leading the culture. Mm. And then if you move down through the next three, it was middle managers. They said 70% said middle managers are responsible for communicating it. 60% uh, said middle managers are responsible mm. for living it out every day. And this, nearly the same amount said they're responsible for addressing inconsistencies. So if you look at the three big areas of shaping culture, communicating it, living it out every day, addressing all the inconsistencies and correcting, you know, behaviors and countercultural behaviors, those three big areas that actually shape the culture, middle managers said, we're the ones responsible for that. And yet when we ask mm. them who's responsible for culture, they kind of point to the top. And I think yeah. there's the disconnect for me in my mind. I go, yes, there is a responsibility for leadership for setting and leading culture, but mm. it's not just their responsibility because you can have a really toxic culture and I'm always conscious using that word um, but you can have a toxic culture in an organization and have a really great team culture and retain great people mm. or you could have a really healthy organizational culture and have a really toxic team culture and lose your best people 
And so if a manager doesn't see themselves as a responsible um, authority and a responsible um, leader in shaping and building the culture, then you can completely miss an opportunity that's sitting right in front of you. Mm. And, yeah, that's that, that image you just painted of you know, teams, excellent business can be, and I'm going to use extreme words, busted. Yep. But the business can be brilliant. The team can be busted. Um, what is that all about? Mm. If you like, I'm just, and I'm generally curious kind of game with this because you see a lot of this and this is your sweet spot. Um, so I, you know, I get culture, but I also don't get it as well as you do. And I'm really happy to say that it's, um, what is that about? Do you think like, what's, what's, how does that happen? How does that exist? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because I think it answers two questions. Um, the first one you asked me a little bit earlier on, which is how do you shape culture by design? And the other, which is like, how does this disconnect happen in these areas? So I, one of the reasons why I said I'm conscious using the word toxic um, is it's one that most people know, but it's it's one that's often misunderstood. So we put culture on a scale from toxic to healthy as though it's this spectrum across those areas. And someone said to me recently, well, how do you build a healthy culture? And I said, well, healthy is not mine to define. And I said, because if I was to imagine culture in the military and I took that and I put it into a school, would you still call it healthy culture? Or if I took something from the arts and theater and I put it into science or I put it into schools or I put it into any other industry, would you still call it healthy? They're like, well, probably not. It's probably toxic in one. So I said, what's toxic in one culture is healthy in another, what's healthy one is toxic in another. So mm. for me, it's not about healthy and unhealthy culture. It's about what's the culture I want to, to develop within this business. And so because of that, what we learn is that every single person brings into a team and into a business, a set of expectations about the way things should be. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that those expectations very rarely are aligned. So I mean, let me give you an example. Um, I have an expectation as an employee when I go into the business, people would ask me about my weekend on a Monday. You know, it's just that they would want to know what's going on in my life outside of work. I spoke to someone recently who said, I don't care about what happens outside your work. Your work is work and home is home. So those worlds shouldn't cross. So what ends up happening to the culture is you end up with this collision of the way we want to do things. And based on the average, so if you've got 10 people in your team, whatever the average is of your team, that will be the culture. So if eight out of 10 people say, I, my work is my work and my home is my home, then that's the culture of your team. Yeah. And so I think the starting point for any team or leader, even the, the, maybe a person who's listening, do you go, how do I even begin to start shaping the culture of my team? You have to start with expectations, which is three expectations. Number one, what do I as a leader expect of you as a team member? Number two, what do you as a team member expect of me as a leader and of your peers? And number three, what does the organization expect of us um, about the way that we want to play together and work together every single day? If you can start at that point, you will find that, that opens up a rich conversation about the way that we want to do things. And the answer to the question of what are, are the appropriate expectations is not right or wrong. It's not, you should ask me about my weekend or you shouldn't ask me about my weekend. It's not cameras should be on or cameras should be off during Zoom meetings. It's not, that's not the right answer. There's no right and wrong to that. The answer is how do we want to do things as a team? So we yeah. as a team have decided we want to ask about things on the weekends, which means if you're not that way inclined, you have two options. I either jump on board with the culture we're trying to build, or I say that this is not the culture I want to be a part of and I leave. And that's okay because it's not right or wrong. It's just not the way that we want to do things as a team. So I definitely think expectations is a great place to start. That's really cool. Very, very wise words for people listening 
rewind about a minute and play that sucker <laughs> again because there's a lot in there that you can you can apply today. And and with when you were talking through that piece of um, uh, you know what, what uh, you know the I guess I'm trying to go back to some of the experiences you've had um, when you walk into a business. And again, we're talking generalizations here. But when you walk into a business, um, how often? Like, what do you what do you often see um, for them to get to a place of? And I'm sure it's varied, but for for the organisation to get to a place of going, we need Shane to come and give us a hand. What's what's kind of what do you normally see inside a business that asks for some help in this space? Yeah. I mean, the biggest problems I'm seeing are, are people who say, um, I feel like I go home at the end of the day and I dread coming to work the next day because mm. it's just not, I, it just doesn't feel like it energizes me being a part of this team or leading this team or whatever that experience is like. So it really shifts like their engagement at work. So maybe people are noticing a drop in engagement in certain parts of the business um, mm. is obviously a big one. So most of the people who say, um, you know, when we talk about culture, most people say it has the biggest impact on engagement. So, and it makes sense. Like if I show up in a team and I feel deeply aligned, I feel like we all want the same things, then by all means, I feel much more engaged in the work that I'm doing. Um, but it shows up in like retention. So people would say, hey, we're, we just have, feels like we're bleeding really good people, which tells us something about the culture of our organization. Uh, it shows up in inclusion and diversity. Um, is a big one. So people, people, this is what's interesting about culture is people think culture is about eradicating difference. So we all become aligned and we're all the same. I'm like, no, the phrase mm -hmm. I use is culture is about being aligned at the core and inclusive at the edge, which mm -hmm. means what is most important to us, we, we align around, but we're open to hearing every person's perspective because it makes us better as a result yes. of that. It's good. Um, and then a whole bunch of other things, like we're not achieving our goals, we're losing great people, we don't have psychological safety within our team, we're not attracting really great people to our business. Like they're all elements that are touched by culture. So people will often just use culture as the blanket label that touches all of those areas. Yeah, I'm sure you hear that. I'm sure you see and hear that a lot with people. Yeah. It's the kind of throwaway, oh, it's the culture. Yeah. What, do you... what, what specifically do you mean by that? What are <laughs> yeah. you talking about in more yeah. more detail? And the thing that's amazing at the moment, you know, I think you've seen it as well. I, I think the number one conversation I'm having with people at the moment is they say, I just can't get people. Like I can't get people here. And yeah. I would suggest like, yes, you could pay people more. Yes, you could give people more perks. Yes, you could put a pool table in your break room to create a more enjoyable experience. And I'm not against any of that stuff. I mean, people should have fun and they should create great environments, physical environments and you know whatnot for people. But at the end of the day, the thing that retains great people and attracts great people is your culture. Mm. And again, um, is it fair to say, again, generalization, so one of my views, and I'll test it with you and your genius, um, ultimately it does start and sometimes end with the most senior leader uh, in the sense of how they choose to behave and how that then echoes all the way through the organisation um, is, is a fairly significant piece with setting culture. Um, and I suspect with those, when, you when we talk about a business being busted but teams being better, is because someone's almost shielding that team because of this echo that's coming from somewhere at a more senior level that just echoes unhealthily through the business. I'm sorry, I use the unhealthy term. Um, toxic, I can't even. Yeah, but it's just it's just not good. 
for whatever reason, yeah. it's just causing a really bad experience for people who are there. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Look, I think years and years ago, actually one of my very first mentors said to me, Shane, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And I'm pretty sure he was quoting, uh, might've been John Maxwell or somebody else who, who said it first, but it's always stuck with me as a thought, which is this idea of culture is do, which is the practicalities of bringing it to life, but culture is also be. Um, and you can't do one without the other. You can't say we want a culture of autonomy and then micromanage your people. You can't say we want a culture of flexibility and then demand that they're in the office from nine to five. And so there is this all, always this strange tension of those two worlds pulling against each other. And at times it means as a leader, you need to have the space for people to give you the honest truth about where things are at, which is the, you know, one of the things I set up in the book is if you don't have psychological safety, you can't have honest conversation. And if you can't have honest conversation, you can't talk about culture in a way that it needs. Um, and so, yeah, entirely. Um, I was doing an interview with uh, Tim Duggan recently, who uh, was the founder of Junkie Media. He wrote a book called Cult Status and his latest book called Killer Thinking. And uh, in his book, Killer Thinking, he talks about the this kind of concept. I'm not sure it's his. It's it's this idea of hippos, which is the highest paid person's opinion. Yeah. Um, and you always have to be conscious that if you're in a room trying to have a conversation about culture, then if you are the highest paid person in the room, people will defer to your opinion on how things should be. And the delicate balance that I always say to people is culture needs to be collaborative and led, meaning that it needs to be led because people look to you to say, well, what do you expect of us? But it also needs to be collaborative in the sense that maybe there's people's perspective in here that helps make me as a leader better and helps make our culture better. So I can't just tell them this is how we want to do things. I actually need to invite them into the conversation about that. So it is, it's a delicate balance of be, um, so model the culture and be collaborative at the same time. Yeah, and I think a lot of people listening, I certainly can, and I'm sure you do too, would have experiences of, you know, the odd do as I say, not as I do. Uh, again, wonderful millennium, and I think it's really useful here where, you know, we yeah. want to build a collaborative, open, engaging culture. Shut up. What I'm trying yeah. to say is we want to build, can you be quiet like you? Hang on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, hang on. Um, and people probably more than any other time in history, and an exaggeration maybe, but I think it possibly is true, are more sensitive to that. Mm. They're, they're very aware of that and they're very much looking for authenticity and genuineness in leadership and, yeah. and therefore in culture. Um, when you talk about psychological safety, and I'd love to go here and you know we're getting close to our time, but... Uh, it's another one of those interesting terms that I hear used a lot and probably yeah. a little bit with Thomas sitting up there on the culture level now around it's just, it's a throwaway. And, and yeah. I don't mean it's thrown away, but it's just used a little too often, a little too lightly. Yeah. Um, how do you perceive, and again, I'm going to ask for a definition, but when you think yeah. about that psychological safety and the construct of culture, what does that mean to you? Like, what does that, how do you express that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a big one. Um, and, you know, so much of this work comes from Amy Edmondson and a, and a whole bunch of people who've done really great work on this. And one of the things, I think one of the most popular studies that she did was studying the way hospitals worked and they were looking at, she was looking at high-performing teams and she said, you know, like, what was it about high-performing teams? Did they make less errors? And as she was looking at it, she realized that the high-performing teams in the hospitals made more errors than those that weren't. And she couldn't understand why. And as they started looking into it deeper, they realized that, 
it was not that they were making more errors it's that they were more open about the errors that they were making um and people felt safe to be able to speak up without the fear of humiliation or shame and for me psychological safety always comes back to this idea of do i feel safe to show up fully in this environment or in this moment and not fear humiliation or shame or punishment or retribution as a result of me being fully uh, here and present in that moment. And so mm. it could be a whole bunch of things. It could be about your, you know, your preferences and it could be about your personality. It could be about your opinions or your ideas and everything. Knowing that in this team environment, if I was to show you that, I'm not going to be embarrassed or humiliated because of that. Um, and which if you think about great conversation, you cannot have a great honest conversation if a person is constantly saying, I can't put my whole self here. I can't be fully here. Um, so it's, it is a really crucial part of it. And it's, it's um, again, I, I suspect most people have heard of it. If you haven't, it is uh, Shane, you know, his advice around Amy Edmondson and her work, absolutely. Go and, go and watch a TED Talk, go and watch a video, go and read a book, whatever your mode of learning is. But it is, it's important to understand because it, it uh, is, is at the crux of, like for me, my well, better people, better business. Um, mm. if, if people can't feel safe, and for years, I often talk about the three P's of safety. You know, there's always been personal safety. So with the high-end heavy industry work that we often do, it's always personal safety, you know, making sure people are safe. And then there's process safety, which is around making sure the kit's safe and operates safely. Um, or, you know, in people's life, the car can be driven safely, four tyres are good, et cetera. But then we have, have for a long time never really acknowledged the psychological aspect mm. of people. That yeah. it's, it's important not just that, you know, you don't trip and fall and you don't think doesn't blow up, but that you can show up um, yeah. and be able to speak up and engage into those spaces. So if you haven't read anything in that world, I think Shane's called out a good one there. Get after it. Um, I guess heading toward time and, and mindful of it, um, if, if there was one thing that you would like the people listening to take away think about, do whatever frame you want to use, what might that be? What gift would you leave them with as a parting gift to really have a think about or to work with? Yeah, look, it's such a, I mean, if I, gosh, I've got so many how things many? I want to say, but let me, yeah, how, many, how many things can I leave you with? <laughs> yeah. We've talked about, we touched on <clears throat> expectations, which I think is the starting point to any cultural change or conversation, which is, the reason why I'm disappointed or the reason why there's conflict is I have an expectation of you that you are not fulfilling or that you're not meeting. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that most people don't know that they're not meeting that expectation or they never mm -hmm. knew it was an expectation in the first place. And so we always take something, for example, like I have an expectation that this team would be collaborative and that's a good place to start, but it's not the best place to end because my, our perspective and our ideas around what collaboration is vary from person to person. And so if I was to leave people with just one last thing to do, if we've talked about expectations and we've said as a team, we want the hallmarks of our culture to be that it's respectful, collaborative and innovative. It's a really helpful starting point, but great communications, not just an exchange of words, it's transfer of meaning. And right now, what you've got is a transfer of words, respectful, innovative, and you know, collaborative. What you need is meaning. And what helps you do that is to have another conversation with people and ask the question, what does this mean to you? And what does this mean to us? So if I say collaborative, collaborative might mean 
we meet once a week to talk and share ideas that are outside of our, you know, remit of our, our PD, or maybe it's that we're doing a once a quarter offsite where we're taking people on a you know, tour somewhere else, or maybe collaborative is just purely um, we have buddy systems where we check in with one another. So what specific behaviors would bring this culture to life? And what you'll find is as you have conversations about those specific behaviors, you'll realize that we all view collaboration very, very differently. And once you get to the end of that conversation, the question I always ask is if as a team, we were to apply disproportionate energy behind a certain number of these behaviors, which of those would help us create more of the culture that we aspire to create? So if we say innovative culture means um, for us, we want to share new ideas and not shut other people's ideas down. We always want to, um, in the term of Disney, plus their ideas, you know, kind of make them better as a result of it. And, and another innovative behavior, behavior might be we want to, you know, do TED Talks or something like that. If you go, if we could just put disproportionate energy behind one of these behaviors, which one would help us create a more innovative culture? And then as a team, we put, apply collective effort behind that. And then in three, six, 12 months, we come back and ask ourselves, did we shift the culture? And if it did, how do we continue to do that? And if it didn't, what's another behavior that we could get behind to either eradicate or amplify that will help us create more of the culture we're aspiring to create? Yeah, pretty cool. And I think the that's brilliant. And the subtlety in there for everybody is um, don't try to fix everything. Don't try to fix culture. Look for the, you know, to summarize, look for the, 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 the one to three things you're going after. That's kind of it. Um, and on the other side of it, um, it's that piece around what are we actually going to do? What are the actions? What are the behaviours? And I also wonder, having a simple question that you might throw in there as well, if we did this, how would it make you feel? Yeah, nice. What would be the feeling around that? So, Because I think it's important for people to get into that feeling space to go, it would make me feel like I'm whatever the word is. Yeah. That's really brilliant. Thank you, Shane. I am uh, deeply thankful. A lot of wisdom thrown in there. People will enjoy this immensely. Um, they can find, we'll put some detail in the, um, the footer of this uh, to, to get onto you. Obviously, it's shanehatton.com, not obviously, but for me, it's obvious. Shanehatton.com is where they can go and hunt you down and find out a bit more about you. Your book's available, both of them, everywhere, anywhere. Um, jump on Shane's website to find out more about that. You will learn about culture and about the conversation today in a much deeper, better way. And if you need help around shifting your culture, this is the man, give him a buzz, um, reach out to him through his website and the other social media platforms, you're everywhere. He's, and he does these cracking, cool video-y things that I am just an amateur <laughs> at. So um, it's been an absolute delight, Shane. Um, AD, it's always a privilege to talk to you. What a lot of people don't know is that, that I spent a, a, a year or so um, being mentored by you and it was really such an enriching experience. And I know you're excellent in what you do at a professional capacity, but you're also just an incredibly um, great human being. And so it's a, it's a privilege to be on the podcast. It's an even more privilege to, uh, to just know you. So thanks so much for having me. Thanks, mate. And I'm squirming under the table now, so um, we're equal. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Shane Hatton. And to everyone who's listened, thanks for your time. And I wish you well. And uh, get out there and have a conversation today with some people about your culture, what's going on, and expectations you have of each other. And uh, farewell. <laughs>